0: My name is Daniel T, and welcome to the SA Fireside podcast. Each week, we bring you another fireside chat with an old-timer discussing the questions and topics we compiled surveying the world of SA. You can visit us on SAFireside.com to hear all the recordings, and if you have any questions or feedback, you can email me at daniel at SAFireside.com. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. It's our hope and our goal that this recording will help those old and new to the program to gain more tools that will help further their recovery. And so, without further ado, it's time to hear today's Fireside Chat. Welcome back to another Fireside Chat. Today, David has joined us from Nebraska. Thank you for joining us, David.
1: Good to be here.
0: Amazing. So basically the format is that we're going to have around uh, fi- between 15 and 25 minutes of your story, uh, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Uh, and then we'll go into a bunch of questions uh, that I compiled from the world of essay, which are both useful to uh, newcomers and people with long-term sobriety The uh, to hear your take and your experience on these topics. So uh, without further ado, I shall pass it over to you. And uh, thank you so much again for joining us.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you. Yes. Well, let me um let me just start off as far as uh, with my story. I've grown up in Nebraska uh my entire life and it was originally in a smaller town and actually had a seemingly fairly normal childhood um for me except that I noticed around around twelve, I started to have some um, anxiety issues, and I also just felt like I also had lost a lot of my friends, and I just felt this void in my life. And about that time, of course, puberty started to hit, and that was when I first discovered um, pornography and masturbation and. Um, <clears throat> initially it was in a hotel room my parents were at somewhere and I remember you know watching that on HBO some movie there which I had never seen before and so uh, it was pretty am- amazing experience I remember and uh, just totally unplanned you know my parents had never talked about any of this at, at all and so when I had um after, after that experience, I started to didn't really actually use pornography, but I, I was very imaginative and I had a lot of fantasies about the different girls at school and then eventually actresses. But eventually that moved on to renting, um, renting videos. Um, and at the town I was at, it was really hard to get any kind of adult material but I would get R-rated material and different things like that, and I uh, was regularly watching those. And eventually got to the point where that was just a very regular occurrence. But always trying to hide it, you know, from my family. And they only caught me once, and uh, was never really. But they never really discussed the issue, so it was very much a not talked about issue in my house. And so, so I just remember this, this continuing, and eventually I had, um, and I had never talked to anybody about what I was doing. I mean, no, my parents, not anybody else. So it was just a very, just, just not talked. I didn't know whether this was common with other people or not, but anyway, this continued through through high school and eventually through college. And eventually I had my own uh, apartment. And by this time I had taped a bunch of movies and just anyway, so just things have continued on. Um, but about the senior year of college, I had a, I could say a religious spiritual experience where I started to believe in God before that I was agnostic. So uh, I started to have a spiritual experience, started going back to church and I started to feel guilt about what I was doing, even though I never talked to anyone about this, but I felt like it was wrong. But, uh, what, what ended up happening is I would try to, I didn't want to give up what I was doing, but I was trying to make it correct. So I would try to say, well, if I'm gonna watch videos where people are portraying a married couple or there's just nudity with no sex, or I would try to change it up basically in some way to justify it in my own mind. And that uh, but that never worked, never took away any of the the feelings of guilt. And so eventually, um when I was close to graduation, I eventually took all my videos and put them in a big plastic bag. Uh and threw them in the trash. Although, as I like to say, I kept my favorite ones. So I didn't throw all of them, but, but nearly all of them threw again. I said, I'm never going to rent another video for sexual purposes again. Uh, moved to Lincoln to continue my studies. And at that point, what would happen is I would end up going to the video store, but I would end up getting videos that were, say, Foreign movies or dramas or something that would that were actually R-rated or whatever. But I would say I wasn't in my mind. I would say I was wasn't renting it for sexual purposes. You know, I would say I'm I'm renting it for another purpose. And so, in my mind, I wasn't breaking what I said I was doing. Um, although I will say, probably because of the studies and how busy I was, I wasn't doing that as often. So things didn't seem as out of control or as much as it was before. So things seemed okay. But uh, what eventually happened was, uh, of course, the internet is eventually, I remember at some point hearing, you know, that, um, and this is back into the late nineties, but, you know, that I heard that I could get, you know, anything you wanted at the internet, why not try it? And I didn't have internet in my room. So the only place I had it was at work. So I stay late, and I try, you know, found the internet, and I found I could get, you know, a bunch of things I was thinking about um, for free, you know, on the internet, and I would end up having a pattern of staying late at work, uh, looking at looking at porn, um, and then going, you know, then going back to my dorm room, um, but uh, eventually it became basically paranoid that I was going to get caught at work because I knew that they could monitor what I was doing. And so this was really a turning point because I decided I was going to stop doing this at work, but I didn't also didn't have anywhere else. I could really, really access the internet. Um, so what happened was I, I would try to stop and I couldn't. And this was the, I think the first real time I really came face to face with the addiction because I would say I was going to stop and that just simply that simply didn't work. And, you know, I would try that, you know, week after week and I would still go back to, you know, going back to work um, again, either because I was stressed and intentionally doing that, or I would just say, well, I'm just going to look at one website and then just stop after that. And of course, go into one website, you go to another website, and go to another website, and then you know, anyway, quickly, you know, escalates from there. So, so this continues. So at this point I was, I had been seeing a therapist for some of the anxiety issues I was having, but I never talked to her about it. And so eventually I, I broke down and told her about my, what I was doing about the pornography. And she, you know, listened and she, that was the first person that ever told me that. I likely had a you know sexual addiction would need to go to 12 step group and was really kind of a shock for me. I never thought I could have a, you know, I didn't even know there was a pornography addiction. I knew about alcohol or drug or something like that. But uh, so, so anyway, she, she gave me the contact of someone else who I found about about essay meetings. Um, but I, for another, I think few months, tried by myself to stop. I read some material, read out of the shadows, um, you know, read some other, other, other material and try to stop myself. But uh, again, I, you know, as is typical, I could not stay stopped. You know, I could stop for maybe a week or two and then I'd go back. And so at work. And so again, um, it just, Eventually, I broke down and I came to SA in May of 1999. Was when I first came in, and uh, fortunately, the group in and uh, the group in Lincoln, there's only one meeting, so I went there. But uh, they had a tradition of when you came in, they would take a new person, they would have two people from the group, and they take you to a separate room, and then they would share their stories. And then they would have asked if you had any questions. And so I really got to hear other two other people's stories. Um, I got to ask my you know questions about the about the essay program, about 12 steps, essay program, everything. And I really became convinced uh, that this was for me um, and just hearing their stories they were, You know there was some differences, but general same pattern occurred among the two people. And so, and at that time, uh, the person who had laid me my sponsor, he had six years of sobriety, and that seemed an incredibly long time because I had a hard time getting six days of sobriety. So, um, and so I remember anyway. I remember you know saying, "Well, hey, why don't we? uh, Why don't we get started? You know, with with uh, you know." with the whole program, I remember, you know, that person saying, well, let's, let's see, I don't want to go too fast. Let's see if you show up next week. And so I was kind of, I was kind of, um, miffed by that. I was kind of angered by that. I remember, you know, thinking, well, I'm going to show them. And of course I did show up the next week. And then we we started, um, you know, we started the program. Um, but you know, I, I think, you know, I, and I worked through the steps, but I had a lot of trouble with sobriety. And, and for me, that was because I believe I never really took the first step. I admitted I had a power a problem, but admitting a complete powerlessness was difficult for me. But anyway, I went through the steps and actually it wasn't until March of 2000, I mean, I had gotten slowly longer and longer periods of sobriety. I would, I would never have any consistent sobriety, but in March of 2000, I really had my first turning point where I really, really first took the first step. And so, I, um, you know, I remember, you know, at that point, I really started to you know, stay sober one week, one month, and then one year. And so I had, um, Anyway, I was doing, uh, you know, like I said, a year doing pretty well. And then I had some work issues come up and some other issues. And I kind of got a resentment toward my sponsor after a year. And so I ended up not talking to my sponsor. Um, I did go to meetings, but slowly, you know, that I could just feel lust coming back in. And so um, around, I think it was, may of 2000 or somewhere around there i had another slip and you know i had a couple slips in between then but my last day of uh, acting out was july 4th of 2000 2001 um, because uh, at that point i remember acting at my at my parents house on their computer And really feeling like I almost had an out-of-body experience because I was knowing that this was not what I wanted to do yet feel completely compelled at what I was doing at going to the computer, and so that really kicked me out of any complacency I had. Went back to my sponsor. You know, he said, "You know, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to get sober?" I said, "Yes." And from that point. you know, I have not gone back to, uh, to pornography or masturbation at that point. Um, de- definitely been, you know, um, definitely l- lust is still there and there's been, you know, a couple of, of close calls, but I've not, you know, slipped since that point. And so, um, you know, what it's like now is that, um, after that point, uh, Anyway, you know, continued education, got, you know, got a different job and eventually got into dating, which was a big fear of mine to actually, you know, date a real woman. And uh anyway, got into that, eventually got married, had kids, you know, you know, got a better job, and you know, and just things happened in life that, you know, really I always thought about happening, but I always had these blocks, of course, with with the uh, disease, and so really helped me to overwork a lot of the fears that I had. And, you know, now today, I'm really blessed in Lincoln, we have multiple SA meetings, you know, I've got um, a number of different sponsees, I mean, pick up and lose different sponsees at different times. But, you know, really, um, I really feel like we have a strong program. In Lincoln, a number of people here, and uh, it's just been a a real, real blessing um, for what we have. So that's really kind of my my story in a nutshell. Um, Well, thank
0: you so much for sharing, David. Um, I related to a lot of it. I definitely related to um, the the videos. The where I think you're you're probably just a couple of years older than me, if that and. and um yeah, I mean you know for, for for the the younger generation they 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 call it you know they they relate to it by going to YouTube to look at some yeah. kind of surfing yeah. or or whatever mm. it is right thing they're not really going to love so i you definitely brought back a lot of memories talking about those foreign <laughs> videos <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for me, it's really interesting because yeah my my story is uh, is very very different um uh but but I actually i think around. Probably with you know within a month or two when you of your actual sobriety date is when I was first sent to SA um, mm. by by a therapist and we did not have a strong program here there wasn't anyone with six years or even one year of sobriety mm. at the time it was it was actually there was only two meetings in the whole country at the time mm. and uh, my, my story is that I I went back out there for another. 14, 15 years or so, which, uh, uh, that's my story. We each have our own experience, but, uh, it's interesting. uh, uh God definitely gives us exactly what we need. And it sounds like okay. he gave you exactly okay. what you needed at the right time. What a blessing. Yeah. So we're, we're going to go into these questions around, um, a lot of different topics. We're going to touch on most things. The first topic is around lust. So in essay, we say that we're powerless over lust, and it's, yeah. it's not yeah. the masturbation or the pornography. Mm-hmm. How do you understand lust? How do, how do you understand for yourself lust? What is it, and how does it manifest?
1: Okay. Well, lust is simply, you know, when I get some sort of You know, it can be a thing for me, it's going to be external or internal, um, particularly because I'm a pretty imaginative person. So I can be, you know, I've always joked that I can be in a room with uh, just an empty chair and I can quickly conjure up something in my mind that is very lustful. So, um, you know, there is, but lust is just that, is that, it almost is either that thought or that reaction that is, triggering this this idea of wanting yeah and again it's not even just sex it's just that just that forbidden sense of wanting that you know for me for uh you know for a woman of, of some sense of lust or some sort of sexual act or something like that or even just a picture and stuff but it's just that it's that sense of and it's that it's it's almost like a you know like a drug hit and stuff too of just getting in my mind i can really feel um you know for me like since i'm married i i felt you know had sex and i had lust and they're very different because sex for me is very physical where lust is very mental it's very much in my brain and it's very different from the physical act of sex so it, it is very they are related, but they're very different in a lot of ways. And it just for me, lust again can be external. I can see something that, um, or occasionally hear something that triggers that that lust, wanting to get more, and um, or it can be internal. I, that's a frequent uh, you know issue of mine. That and the thing with internal is sometimes I can be lusting or thinking about lust and not even fully realize it. Like, that's one thing I always work on is trying to be aware of what I am thinking, because it can be, I can play a, you know, a movie or some sort of creation or something in my mind, and it can have some sort of lustful uh, overtones or something like that. And it can really really just, you know, bear out. And I just have to be aware of my, of my mind and my body of what is going on. And, but that really that is for me, it's, it's not really, it's not really physical. It's really mental. It's really my brain has changed because of the way that I process that, you know, sexual s- stimulation. And um it, you know, again, I really just feel like I, you know, I react very differently because once I get that in my system, my brain craves more of it and wants more and more of it. And so, you know, I've, I've really had to use, you know, all the program, uh, the tools from SA to really help to help to deal with that. But I guess, again, less for me, again, it's, it's not it's not physical. And like you said, it definitely it's that that is really the beginning of all the acting out behavior. Really, is is it it really? And that's one one thing I really like about essay is it's got that definition of, of lust and just that that is where it all starts and that's where it really has to end too. Um, because the physical acting out is just a result of that initial lust, initial you know thoughts or or fantasies or wherever those are um those really started so
0: yeah absolutely um so the question is we got a newcomer he walks in the room and um this is the first meeting mm-hmm. and Either done way more depra- depraved things than 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 I've done, or he's uh, thinks that he's different, or he or she they think that they're different, that mm-hmm. no one's like them, um, nothing's worked for them, and uh, why would this work? What would you say to that person?
1: Well, you know, I would say that that this will work because. We are a community of people who have a variety of different experiences and different lust triggers, Um, but yet we've all found a common solution that this is, you know, that again, that, you know, not everyone, everyone is, and and my say is, is the same and unique as far as we all have the same problem. Lust, it, some fashion is involved with this, but uh, you know, we all have you know, unique ways that, per se that we act out or our unique background, but we all have a common problem, which is really, again, is that lust and that, that obsession to have that, whatever it is, you start with whatever the lust is and it will just continue, continue, continue. And so again, you know, it does. The person doesn't have to have the same way of acting out, but you really have to. One of the things that I saw from my very first meeting is that the the way you determine whether you're a sexaholic is by setting a boundary of whatever it is of you know you're not going to do this and trying by yourself not to do that because. That's the thing, as a sex we will eventually pass that boundary because we we crave that that intensity. We crave that. We, we cannot handle life by itself. And this is a really, lust really actually, as my uh, sponsor said, you know, was really our solution to life. Um, you know, we handled everything in life, but then it brought about a number of other problems. And we need to find a new solution which we, we find through, through the program, you know, through God, um, and again, through, you know, through our community of different people who can all help us, uh, to stay sober. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I would say.
0: Right. So, so what, what I have to do to get sober, I walk in, I buy that. Now, what, what's your suggestions? What's your initial suggestions for me to get sober?
1: Well, initial suggestions is to, number one is to go to, we suggest 90 meetings in 90 days, which is, you know, every day for 90 days, go to a meeting, um, choose a sponsor. Um, and if you don't have a sponsor, then call a number of people and uh, choose a sponsor. We call that sponsor every day for the first 90 days of sobriety. Uh, so really, it's really to get really involved with the program because I found I cannot do this by myself. And that is often the, the, uh, I want to say the lie that we really tell us is that we can do this by ourselves. We can do it with just a little bit of help and we need a lot of help. Um, you know, we need, we need to go to meetings. We need to call our sponsor and we need to call other people too and get, get involved with other people in the program. And the more we do that, The more we're going to, number one, get relief from lust because it's hard for me to lust when I'm in an essay meeting or with other people from SA. Uh, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's just a lot easier to feel sane when I am with them. But number two, I'm going to learn a lot of the other other tools that SA has um, that are really going to help me. You know, I learned so many things about just calling other people, prayer, prayer for the less objects I have, you know, staying focused, staying active, going to meetings, all these different tools that I learned from other people. And they said, you know, these are what helped me to, to stay sober. And, um, I, you know, when I'm around other people, I learn what, what's worked for them. And if I'm, if I'm heavily involved and heavily doing something that really helps me to get outside of myself, because if I'm inside of myself, that's where my disease is at. I've really got to get outside of myself to be, to be sober. Okay.
0: So what do I do? What, what, what do I do with withdrawal? How do I help Uh, get that withdrawal process?
1: Yeah, I think you know that is is similar as far as when I get that withdrawal. Um, I would say it's a very similar thing. Is number one trying to connect with other people um, when you when you call other people when you go to meetings. I can't think about the withdrawal process I have if I if I've got if if I'm with other people in a meeting. You know, but the worst for me with withdrawals with when I'm by myself and I'm just feeling that, that desire. And so I've really got to connect with other people. And if I've got to call 12 people a day, then I've got to call 12 people a day. You know, it just, it just simply means I've got it. You know, I've got to go to meetings. I've got to call other people and I've got to be active and doing um, different things for service work. Maybe I can help by picking up another person from SA and taking them to a meeting, or taking them to dinner afterwards, or you know, whatever, when whatever it is. Or maybe I'm having a bad day. I just need to meet with somebody for for a brief period of time, going out for coffee for thirty minutes, and really trying to to connect with that that connect with. The source of recovery, you know, which really in the beginning, I really need, really need other people in the fellowship, um, because otherwise it's just, it's just not going to work if I I don't, if I don't have that, if I don't have that connection, I've really got to, you know, uh, I remember in the the white book, it talks about the, the misconnection. And we really got to have the connection, which, you know, for me, which is other people in the program. And I've really got to, you know, that's one thing I learned later on. I think, to an essay is that it's important to have time with people in essay, maybe outside of meetings, and um, you know, do different things, um, whatever it is. But it's really important. Now now I've got a family. I've got a lot of more responsibilities, and so it's harder to do that. But it's also it's an opportunity to be a service to other people too. I can be service to my. Wife and kids, and get outside of myself. And so I always try to think, what can I do for someone else today? Um, because if I start to think about myself, then I'm, you know, I'm I'm going to start to go back into that pattern, and I can really quickly go back into withdrawal or feeling the hunger, angry, lonely, tired, uh, the halt that we talk about in essay, and really start to focus on that, and then feeling like lust is going to be the answer. So.
0: Yes. Lust, the answer, the insanity of lust being the answer. And uh, so what do you say to someone who is relapsing or relapsing frequently Mm -hmm. um, and they, they, they're just not getting it. What, what, uh, what advice do you have? What suggestions do you have? What's your experience? Okay.
1: Well, number one, I, you know, see what they've done for the steps and I would most likely Mm -hmm. take them back to the, to the first step and seeing, you know, if there's something they're not surrendering in, in their first step. And, you know, maybe have them completely reread, you know, early sections of the big book um, and really go back into what is, is sexualism. Um, The other thing is to get more involved with the program. Um, again, you know, doing that service work being involved with meetings, um, and look at what is, and again, going back to that step one is seeing what is blocking blocking them. Usually, it's something either's in one steps one, two, or three. You know, again, for me, I, I was acting out because I I just never really fully took that step one of admitting I was powerless. But some people are having problems with step two, with you know, connection to God. And some people with step three of turning their life over to the care guy. So so what is blocking them from really, really working the program? What is what is their roadblock? And that's, that's really important to identify. And sometimes they don't even know. I mean, sometimes we really have to work through that. But again, that's why you've got to have a sponsor. That's why you've got to have... Other people you can talk to, uh, you know, as a a side note, one of the things that really helped me early on in sobriety is not only did I talk to my sponsor every day, but there's another person that we did a morning devotion and I called him in the morning. And so I would have a chance to do that in the morning, talk to another person from SA and then later on, I'd call my sponsor. And so that was really help to, again, to get multiple viewpoints, multiple contacts and multiple, you know, just, just that sense of of what I need to do. And so that, you know, it's just getting more involved, but, you know, looking deeper into what is preventing you from, from getting sober. So.
0: Talking about the first step a little, a little bit. Um, one of the questions <laughs> that came up asked often or thought about often is, am I a bad person?
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, and I, you know, I don't think we're we're a bad person. We're a sick people, you know. We uh, in the the big book it talks about, you know, that we should treat somebody who is <clears throat> who is causing us problems as sick people. That's the thing is we've got a disease, and we're not. You know, we sometimes do bad things, yes, but the thing is we've got a disease. In our brains, and by by repeating that we're a bad person, we're just we're just gonna go back in that cycle of, you know, and I've been that where I feel, feel worthless, uh, feel frustrated. And the only way I can handle that but by acting out more. And so I've got to get beyond that and say, hey, I've got, I've got a disease, I've got a I've got a physical, mental, and spiritual disease. That um, you know, I've got, I've got. My brain is wired physically different than the average person. There are you know physical and mental differences with with me compared to the average person. And so I've got to re- recognize I've got a disease, and if I've got a disease, I've got to find the cure. And for me, the cure really is is you know working with Sex Anonymous and having my connection with with God as I understand God. And again, you know, thinking about it as a, as a bad person isn't, isn't going to help me. I've got it. And sometimes I got to repeat this again. I've got a disease. I've got something physically wrong in my body and I've got it, but there's, you know, the only way I'm going to be able to manage this is by, is by working with um, other people in the program who are going to help me to connect with God. And that's going to help to, to change the way I think about things and, and how I deal with, with situations in life. So.
0: Right. Physically and mentally. Yes. Different mm-hmm. from our fellows. Um, so I think most of us get powerless um, when we come into the program. I think the most of us, Get that we're doing things that we try to keep on trying to stop, and we're just unable to stop. I think it's harder for a lot of us to get unmanageable. Um, mm-hmm. how do you understand
1: unmanageability? Yeah, that's a good point, and that's um, for me, <clears throat> unmanageability is there's a number of ways I guess to define it, but um, for me, it goes back to when I when I set a goal of something that I was going to say, I'm not going to pass this line, you know, that, you know, that, uh, I mean, before my life, I'd always been, if I set a goal, I was able to accomplish that. And I didn't necessarily set, didn't necessarily set like a ton of goals, but I did set, you know, goals about going to school and different things like that. And so, you know, when I early on said, I'm going to stop using porn at work, I mean, that was my, was my, you know, lying in the sand per se. And when I when I passed that, I could really see that my life was not manageable by me. And, and really I have to look at all the different consequences and things that are happening in my life um, to really say that my life is unmanageable. Unmanageable means that I simply by myself cannot control everything in my life and that the lust is is taking something, taking something from me um, that I just simply can't manage. And again, I think it's one of the the best ways to help somebody in SA is really just say, hey, you know, this is is that line that you're not going to cross. And if you cross it, you know, a normal person can simply stop. You know, in in the big book, it talks about, you know, the different uh, levels of, of drinkers. You know, there's the hard drinker who, um, you know, they can stop or moderate if they have enough of a desire to do that. Um, you know, similarly, uh, hard luster, they can, they can stop. They can Mm -hmm. stop if, if they really need to, but a true sexaholic is not going to be able to do that. They're going to pass that line or pass that consequence and they're going to keep doing what they don't want to do. And so, that really is, is one way that I try to emphasize unmanageability.
0: And what about the allergy? How do you understand the allergy as the big book describes it? Um, how does it, you know, generally, they, especially for a newcomer, you know, I think the concept is that, you know, if I'm allergic to strawberries, then I'm just not going to eat strawberries. You're telling oh. me I'm allergic to and I, I keep on going back for more. What's, what's going yeah. on over here?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I always, uh, I mean, I kind of got it and kind of struggled a little bit too, because I've got allergies to a number of different um, you know, dust and things like that. And I guess I related to that as far as like, I have an abnormal reaction to lust, the similar way that I have abnormal reaction to pollens and different things like that. The, the average person doesn't, is, is simply not affected by those things. But if I go in and if I go in and that you know spring is happening or and I get those those pollens, my body starts producing a reaction that it simply shouldn't shouldn't do. Um, But I start having that reaction, and lust is allergies. It's an unnatural reaction when I start seeing a lust object or I start thinking about something a lust. My brain has has a a reaction that's simply not normal. I remember, <clears throat> you know, um, my uh, brother had. You know, I found that he had some uh, pornography magazines, uh, but as far as I know, you know, he would would look at them and then he would put them away. You know, he he you know he would, um, and as far as I know, he he never really um, picked up after adolescence or whatever. You know, he he could simply. You know, he could look at that and then be done with it, you know, where for me, like once I got started with it, that was just the beginning. When I started to see something, I had to see more of it and more of it until I had eventually acted out in whatever that fashion was. And, that, and the acting out became more and more extreme over time. So that's kind of, I guess, how I see allergies. Really just a, it's a beginning to have an unnatural reaction to, to something for us. It's lust
0: right um i think that's exactly what it is for me as well it's the abnormal reaction so here's another concept which is very alien for a lot of people when they walk in on day 1 and that's surrender mm. um especially because they've been fighting the good fight for so many years <laughs> aside from the fact that they never won it so yeah. what does that mean surrender and how does it, how does it work what does it look like how do you
1: understand it okay yeah well surrender is um Surrenders, again, I have to look at how is all my fighting, what has that gotten me, you know, and uh, as, as the, uh, I think the white book says, you know, I could stop, but I couldn't stay stopped. You know, I could stop for one, one day or maybe one hour, but that lust would keep going back in my mind. And if I didn't, we talk about surrender, if I didn't surrender it, I'm eventually going to go back to it. And so that is where uh, surrender for me, it was, it was uh, like I said, I really had to get my head around it, but I had to realize that I simply cannot beat lust. If I've got an allergic reaction to lust, I cannot just by myself, you know, going into the, you know, area say, I'm just going to stop this by myself. That just simply isn't going to work. I'm still going to have that physical reaction same thing with lust. Like if I'm saying that I, if I'm a true sexaholic, I cannot manage lust. And that's where our our brains lie to us. And they say that, well, yes, you can. And the thing is, I I can't, I can't manage lust. And so I have to surrender that and surrender that, you know, is for me is that as soon as I recognize that lust, I have to give it away. In the beginning, a lot of times it's, I need to call my sponsor. I need to go to a meeting. I need to do something physically to, to say that I'm not going to indulge in this lust. And, you know, later on, I would learn about, about prayer. I would would pray to God to say, God, you know, I, I cannot manage this lust, but I know you can. And so I would pray for a lot of times for that for that, you know, sex object or that lust object, or just do general prayers and just say, I cannot manage lust. I cannot, you know, I am powerless over lust. I need to let this go. Uh, You know, and if if I'm trying to hold on to it, if I'm trying to fight it, it's going to be a losing fight because every time I try to manage lust, eventually it will win. Um, because I am powerless over lust. And powerless means I have no power. I have no ability by myself to manage that. And so I have to be willing to, to let that go. Um, and so that's how I guess I view is surrender is just saying surrender is that I cannot manage it. I'm powerless over lust. I need something else. In the beginning, a lot of times it's really the group or the, you know, the sponsor Um, But really, eventually, I need to develop a relationship with God as I understand God to to say that I'm going to give this up to you. I'm going to ask that that you take this, um, and I'm going to keep praying until that feeling starts to go away. And then I'm going to start to move on to do something else, whatever that is. Um, But I need to move and do something else and not be sitting fighting it because that's going to be a losing battle.
0: Right. Exactly. Um, on a different note, tell me what helps you to stop from becoming complacent?
1: Mm. Um, you know, the, one of the biggest ways that helps me stop becoming complacent is continuing to go to meetings. Um, you know, I, I go to meetings regularly and by seeing newcomers, because when I see newcomers, I see what lust does because it, that it, complacency definitely is a an issue um and if it, you know but by seeing what lust does to people by seeing newcomers are working with newcomers and working with sponsees it reminds me that lust is is constantly there and that even though i may feel fine today some days are you know fine don't have any issues um you know, the next day could be a problem. I remember early on in, in sobriety, you know, they they told me one thing is that, that when you're in recovery, lust is going into the back of your brain and doing pushups, just waiting for the next chance to strike. And so, for me, that's why consistency is is so important. Of consistency of working with others, consistent going to meetings, and and you know, seeing. And working, working with other people who are struggling, that helps me to remember that I cannot be complacent.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The newcomer can definitely remind us yeah. on a constant basis what it's like to go back out there. Um, let's talk about relationships for a moment. What's it like having... Um, how how do you understand what a healthy relationship is and how have you learned through the program how to have healthy relationships?
1: Mm. Well, you know, and I'll, I'll go specifically to um, obviously there's all kinds of relationships, but I, you know, with um, for me, I've learned that to be very intentional with uh, with dating. That was one thing. So you know, I had a lot of fear about relationships early on. I just simply, um, I mean, initially I came into SA I thought maybe I, I shouldn't do that. And that was one thing that my sponsor um said is that you know you need to start dating um you know and, and to to work through that fear and so um you know i had i had to really and i remember the first woman i dated was in in recovery and i really had to work through a lot of things with my sponsor uh i mean regularly to manage how do i how do i manage these relationships how do i manage my my feelings how do i manage you know, wanting to lust because, uh, you know, it's a new stage of uh, lust. You know, there's there's the lust of the videos or whatever like that. But this is an actual person, so how do you manage manage that? And I had to work on you know a lot of different guidelines um, for how do I manage manage that with an actual person. And I had to focus on trying to get to know the person too. You know, not just you know, trying to, to get to know them, to understand them, to recognize that they're, they're actual person and to try to be of service to them. And so, um, that was really what really helped me is to, you know, to, to understand that eventually, you know, that relationship, it was obviously it was not going well. So I, you know, my sponsors just, I dropped that one, but eventually I, I tried um online dating which actually was good because i could uh because i would say i'm going to do this for a certain period of time each each week or each set of days or whatever and then i'm going to leave it after that I'm not going to not going to follow up after that and so i had to try to not get hooked up into a because it can it, you know, we can easily get a relationship addiction as far as just getting lost in the person and feeling like we have to have that person. I had to, I had to set boundaries. And I, and another thing too is I had to make sure that the relationship is not going to stop me from doing the things. I need to do at SA. I still need to go to meetings. You know, I need to talk to my sponsees, talk to my sponsor um, and not get lost in, in that relationship. So I need to continue to do the things that, that I need to do, um, and I just need to you know work through my, work through my sponsor and other people uh, during this time and try to get their their experience strength, experience strength and hope. So that's kind of what I would do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, relationship. Um, it's relationships are so much harder for us relationship addicts, yes. which is it can it's the connection addiction, isn't it? As well, it's mm-hmm. and, and, uh, as someone who's experienced uh, getting sober and then getting married what what do you say to someone who says when can i get married
1: <laughs> um well you know i would say number one work through your sponsor i think that's one of the most important things is don't try to do this by yourself i mean my my brain will kind of tell me to do all kinds of things are okay and i really need to get an outside perspective uh, on this, you know, my, my sponsor initially said that you should try dating approximately a year to really get to know the person. Um, and that's what it did, you know, with, uh, my current wife is, you know, we, I think I got, I got engaged slightly before a year, but we, it was actually a year, more than a year since we first met before we actually got married. And, um, <clears throat> And so, you know, I just, and it takes time. I guess that's one thing is, is it, it, takes time. I need to work with my sponsor and work with other people in SA to help to understand when the time is right and not manage it by myself because, you know, lust, lust is there. And, you know, there's that, yeah, you know, I've seen a lot of people, you know, want to rush into relationships and, and, it just takes, I just need to be willing to take the time to really get to know the person, pray about it. Um, you know, that's the other thing too is prayer is just being in connection with God and really trying to understand if this is, is, is God's will for me for this, for this relationship. Um, and if that's going to work out and then, but like I said, generally, like generally that kind of works. If, if I've dated the person for around a year, we really got to get to know them. And again, talk them, you know my sponsor about, about this or with other people. Um, you know, I can really get a sense of whether this is, is, is going to be the, the right person for me. So that's kind of. Um, Kind of what I've done, and that, that that's that's really you know, but again, trying to get feedback from other people in essay is really important when you're doing that. So,
0: and to uh, segue from a relationship with uh, our second higher power, how do you mm-hmm. experience the relationship with your actual higher mm-hmm. power? Yes, how do you experience
1: that as you yeah. understand it? Yeah, I think, you know, it talks in the step 11 about prayer and meditation. And that's one thing that I really try to focus. And for me, the, the difference is prayer is when I am talking to God, but meditation is when I'm opening my mind to letting God talk to me. And so, um, I don't know if everybody has that definition or not, but that's kind of how I, uh, how I see this. And And, you know, in the the big book, it talks about, you know, in the morning, opening yourself up to God and really asking him to direct your steps. And I I really, really try to do that in the morning. Don't always do that. I'm I'm not a morning person, so I, you know, I kind of struggle sometimes with that. But I always definitely try to to pray sometime in the morning and ask God to, to guide my steps during the day. And then I you know, it talks about in the big book about when we're fearful or stressed, taking a moment to, to stop and to pray to God. And and that's really what, what I need to do is that when I, whenever I get those, those senses, I need to take a, I need to take a break and I need to, to connect with God. And by praying regularly, constantly, um, that really helps me to have my connection. And, and, you know, for me also, you know, reading uh, reading different books and different things like that can help to to enrich my mind and connect myself with with God. And um, I don't know, and that that really is, you know, is important. And um, for me, you know, I I take uh, a day of the week also where I try to focus on not all the everything outside of. The world whether it's work or whatever like that is and I really try to focus on uh focus on God and on church and everything like that. And you know, that's one thing that really helps me, helps me also, but you know, that's weekly, but daily, I just need that daily connection with God. And, and through prayer and meditation and not trying to manage everything by myself, but really walking, walking with God, really connecting with God um you know, through this time. so that's that's kind of a an, an nutshell. and I guess the other thing too is that when I'm trying to meditation is trying to take a time when I've got some quiet time and, and I can really, you know just breathe and just try to listen to what God would say to me. And you know that is is really, really important um, because it's so easy for me to get so busy with everything that, I lose track of
0: that. So. What about a spiritual awakening? How have you experienced a spiritual awakening in your life? Uh, I know you mm-hmm. mentioned that you had this kind of spiritual awakening uh, at a religious level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also had a similar one around that age. Um, how, has it, how has it moved to, uh, mm-hmm. how have you experienced a spiritual awakening in your recovery?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, I had a religious spiritual awakening early on, early on when I was in college. But when I came into SA, I realized I had a, a warped view of God. I mean, I had, a, I had one point of God. I had this view of God is almost like a Santa Claus that could give me whatever I wanted. On the other hand, I had this view of God as an angry God who was going to punish me for, for all the sins that I have done, and so I really had to, really review my my sense of God, and that was really part of the spiritual awakening. Is is um, number one recognizing that God loves me, and I saw that because He was keeping other people sober, in S A, and working with their lives, and you know they had done, you know a lot of bad things too but yet god was working with them so when i saw god working with <clears throat> with other people that helped me to recognize that god could work with me also uh, and that's where you know the, the fellowship is so important in the beginning um it is just so vital to see that from other people because you know it's hard for me when we come in we have a, really have a misconnection with god in some level we may we may have religious learnings and other things like that. But as far as it's really got to be that personal connection with God. And that's one thing I really learned about is really how to pray to God, how to open myself to God and doing that through the steps. You know, I'm uh, as I, you go through the steps, you, you turn your life over to the care of God and you recognize a fear. I had a lot of fear about that because I thought God was then, then going to require a bunch of things of me to do. Um, and I had to turn over those fears. Um, and then when I did steps four and five, I realized those stumbling blocks, those things I was holding on to. And, and again, six and seven, the character defects, and then the making the amends and, you know, the, the daily amends in step 10. And then 11, again, furthering that prayer meditation, um, I really had to spiritual experience. It really is an experience, which is is something that happens over time. I feel like it really, for me, it really grew as I continued to understand about God and really got rid of old ideas that I had about God and opened myself up to, you know, a God of, of love who wants who wants the best for me. And so, that's, you know, that's kind of what I, I view as the spiritual experience, kind of this gradual unveiling, unveiling of a personal God in my life. So,
0: Right, that's beautiful. Um, how do you understand the difference between sobriety and recovery?
1: Hmm. I guess sobriety is the is the the basic point at which I need to, you know, I need sobriety to gain real recovery. However. I would say recovery can in some ways start from the very first time I come into the SA meeting. I think I gained some recovery when I came into SA <clears throat> because I started to have beginning to have that spiritual experience and started to connect with other people, but it was really stunted until I gained sobriety. And so they're, they're really kind of, um, you know, it's, to really have good recovery, you need to have sobriety, but you can have, you can start with recovery anytime. And, um, you know, you need to have that recovery from, again, those those old patterns and old thoughts of, of addiction. Um, when those occur, you know, I need to, I need to grow. And rec- I think sobriety also is you know it's got a beginning and end. This is sobriety, but recovery really is a growth process of okay, how do I move past those, those character defects, for example, that I have that we talked, about, you know, talked about in six and seven. How do I grow past them? How do I identify new character defects I didn't even realize I had? Um, you know, recovery really is this constant growth process we have through our lives. Uh, you know, we continue to recover, you know, we got that the uh, the book in uh, essay called recovery continues which talks about you know going beyond just sobriety but really how do i how do i grow in my in my life um both you know spiritually and and emotionally and relationship wise how do i grow in that sense and i really need to have that that base sobriety to To do that's kind of how find the difference between sobriety and recovery.
0: Now, in terms of the steps, Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily what is each step. How do you understand each step? But what is this thing—the body of the spiritual body that we call the steps? What is the magic there? How do you understand it? What is it? What are they doing, and what is it?
1: Yeah, for me the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the the steps really are. You know, you, you start. You know, one of the, the beauty of the steps is is you just you just start where you are. You start where you know you're you're an addict. You know, you're selfish, and you're going to move to a point where you you know, you are you focus on others and you're going to have some recovery. And so the the beauty of the steps really is that it's, it's, it's a path towards a, you know, connection with God. And um, I, you know, in the beginning, I've just got to admit that I've got a problem I can't manage. And then I realized that there is a higher power that can manage that. And I'm going to turn my will and my life over to care of God, because by turning my will and my life over to care of myself, I haven't, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't gone very well. And so, <clears throat> and then I need to you know, steps four and five, I guess, review, look at those roadblocks, I guess, in my life, because that's one thing, you know, even though, though I say that I've got a connection with God, <clears throat> there are certain roadblocks there are certain resentments fears all these things that are blocking me from growing and so i've got to recognize those then i've got to re- realize the other kind of character defects that are blocking me from growing so i think it's it's kind of growing into connection with god but then recognizing that there's a lot of things blocking me from <clears throat> my relationship with god and relationships with other people and i've got to recognize those and be willing to move past those, you know, then I've got to reconcile myself with other people that I've heard. And then I've got to continue to grow in that process of saying, okay, continue to look for other things that are blocking me, continue to look for, uh, continue to try to grow in myself with God. And then as a final step um, that I really need to work with other people. Um, I really need to work with other sexaholics because by doing that, that's part of that complacency. It's easy to become complacent, but if I'm working with other people, it gets me to remember where I came from, and I can help other people and help to see them grow, and it helps me to grow also at the same time. So it's really kind of that 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 process. And one, th- I just I just love that it's it's really a you know it's a process. It's not all one thing. It's like. Okay, you know, find God and get better. It's like this is this is how we're going to do it. We're going to start start here, and we're going to grow, and then we're going to identify these certain things that are blocking you. We're going to you know connect your relationship with other people, and then you're going to continue to grow in a relationship with God and help other people. And so that's kind of how I see the you know it's that it's it, and again it's the having that spiritual experience with with God and. And really, that connection with other people that I do through this program, the, through the steps. So, is ego
0: the root of my problem? Is my problem my ego?
1: Certainly, <clears throat> that is part of it. I think you know the big book says you know self-centeredness is is my issue, and and certainly ego or self-centeredness really is the root of the problem that um, I'm so focused on myself. And that can be really confusing, too, because I'm by definition a people pleaser also. So it seems like I'm not necessarily focused on myself, But even though I can seeming to be other people when I'm a people pleaser. I'm really getting my validation from other people and really more concerned about myself, really, than about them. Um, And so it really is about about selfishness and really be being focused on so much for myself. And so I really have to be willing to, to surrender that. Um, and that anyway, it goes back to that surrender, but, and part of that is by being willing to help other people. And, um, and also you know, one thing I learned in sponsorship is not necessarily to get them to like me, as my people pleasing kind of thing, but really trying to help them to to grow, even if you know they're going to be upset with what I say. You know, it's I'm not getting my validation from them. I'm helping them to really grow because I want to see them grow. And so, um, anyway, so that's kind of how I answer as far as the ego and and selfishness because it really is the root of our issue, and that's really what the the twelve steps really gives the point where we're connected with God, connected with others, move past ourselves.
0: And what about meetings? What should I share in meetings? What should I be talking about when
1: I go to meetings? Um, you know, I really want to be focused on the, for me, I want to be focused on <clears throat> the solution, I guess. You know, I, I, it's easy to get caught up in all the problems I'm having. Um, you know, when, when I'm going to meetings, I really want to focus on what is that reading or the sharing or whatever we're doing. And I really want to focus on how does that connect with me and how does that, what can I learn from that? And so, you know, I don't want to be just spilling over into all my problems. And one of the things we read in the uh, Lincoln meeting is have Detailed personal problems, save those for sharing after the meeting <laughs> because I don't want to get into all these. I want to focus on the solution, I guess, and I want to focus on whatever the reading solution is. And so I just need to make sure that I can, uh, you know, can relate to that. And so that, that's really what I try to focus on, focus on with the me- with the meetings, focus on the solution. Great. So
0: we're going to end with uh, three questions. Uh, the first one is, what is the most important thing for you in the program?
1: Um, the most important thing for me really is really that connection with God. I guess is really I've learned to have that connection with God, and I need to have that regular connection with God, and that's really that spiritual experience. Um, and again, I have that through through other people. Um, but, uh, that really is, really is what is, is so important. I've got to have that connection. And if, if I don't have that connection, I'm, you know, I'm going to act out. So for me, it's that spiritual experience.
0: Right. And have the 12 promises come true in your life today?
1: You know, I believe they have in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I think, um, Depending on where I'm at, I feel, you know, uh recovery I think is kind of well, like life is kind of ups and downs, but I really feel they have. I mean, I've had so many blessings that I always in general wanted, but I never thought I necessarily could have. And so um, they really, really have come true in my life. And I really, really do feel blessed. But I know that you know, life is up and down and and um but I just have to, but I felt like these, these blessings, these senses really have come true in my life. And so, yes, I would say so.
0: Amazing. And finally, what is the biggest gift that you've received from recovering an essay?
1: Oh, you know, it's even, even hard to say. I mean, I would say, number one, that spiritual experience, again, of connection with God, um, that is, is really important but also connection with other people. I didn't really know how to connect with other people. And so it, it's, you know, it, it's hard to l- limit to just the one thing sometimes, but I would say the biggest thing is connection with God, but the other thing is connection with other people. And just to say that I've got that, that connection in that group of people that I can share anything with. And I had, I didn't have that at all before. And so um, it is it, so important to have that. So. That's what I would, I guess I would close it with that.
0: That's amazing, Ed. Yeah, you remind me of the, the uh, G.O.D. group of drunks, right? That connection to God. <laughs> drunks. Well, I want yeah. to thank you so much, David, really, for, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I hope that uh, everyone who listens in in the near and far future will, will will gain from it like I did. So thank you so much.
1: Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I enjoyed enjoyed being part of this and it's it's uh, always helps me to remember and to go over my stories and go over story and go over what's working at the program and i really really enjoy that and really enjoy this time together thank you
0: thank you for listening to today's essay fireside chat we hope you've enjoyed listening and gained as much as we have producing it. anything you've heard on this podcast is strictly the opinion of the individual speaker the principles of SA are found in our 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. If you have any questions you would like to pose to today's speaker, or a burning desire to reach out to them, you can write to me at daniel at essayfireside.com. Remember, SA is self-supporting through its own contributions. You can donate to Seventh Tradition by going to SA.org forward slash donate. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast or visit safireside.com to hear all the previous fireside chats, as well as the future ones, as soon as they're released. May God bless you and keep you until then.